Welcome back. It's Swing Pass Wednesday, April 19th. We've got some fresh off-season news just before the start of the 2023 season, as well as some reactions to a bunch of player chatter thanks to Daniel Cohen's article that came out earlier today on the AUDL.com website. I'm Adam Ruffner. Let's get right into it. Yesterday, the Atlanta Hustle announced the signing of former All-AUDL star, the ninth leading goal scorer in league history. Misha Freistotter will be joining the team for this year. He has been a six foot seven dominant force whenever he's been available, but he hasn't been in the league since 2019. There's been a little bit of speculation if he can catch up to speed, but Evan Lepler reported in an article also available on the AUDL.com that the coaching staff of Atlanta and the players also have just been so impressed with Frey Sauter's ability to step right back into action. He looks every bit himself coming back to the game. It's just a huge, huge, huge addition for a hustle team. I think you and I were already excited about heading into this year. They have a lot of solid pieces. They were already a large lineup to begin with. You talk about Brett Halsmeyer, Dean Ramsey, Michael Fairley, the return of Keem Polk from injury after he missed the 2022 season. A lot of big boys, a lot of big bodies. And now they add maybe the biggest body and biggest presence to ever have played in the league in Freystadter. Mm-hmm. I mean, you talk about some of his numbers. He is uh, <laughs> ninth all-time in total goals, as I mentioned, seventh all-time in goals per game. Uh, he'll be the third highest active player in goals per game, trailing Cameron Brock and Quinn Snyder by a couple of percentage points, tenths of a percentage point, excuse me. Uh He has the most goals in a single season in 95 that he scored in the 2016 season, which a number he got by scoring 13 in a game to close out the season. Now the Cannons were feeding him a little bit in that matchup. But anyways, it it stands to bear that everyone knew that this was going to Misha. Nobody could stop him. Uh, He was a first team unanimous selection for all AUDL in 2015 and 2016. In 2017, he actually spent two-thirds of his points on the Cannons, one of the best Cannons teams ever. Almost challenged Dallas in the playoffs that year in the South Division. Uh, He spent a bunch of time on defense that year, got 17 blocks, was a huge, huge presence in coverage. I'm starting to ramble, but like this is just uh, (laughs) a a huge, huge utility piece. I mean, you can line up Frey Stoddard anywhere, and he's going to make plays. Yeah. Oh, for sure. I mean, he's he's six seven and probably like the best big that plays like to the fullest extent of his height that we've seen in the entire league. I mean, nine was it ninety five goals is the number. That's yep. the record setting number in twenty sixteen. Like, 95. I mean, I was twenty sixteen was before my time, but like from what you remember, were were those goals like it wasn't all just like them throwing it up to Misha, right? Like he is. I think he is like a very smart and like opportune deep cutter in addition to just being like a force downfield. Right. But like you have that outlet of like, if things are clogging up at all, just like chuck it up to Misha and like, you're probably going to be fine. I mean, look, there is no doubt about his physical traits. As you say, he stands at six foot seven. He's remarkably quick. He's got great footwork for his size. 
But I think what often gets overlooked with Frey Stodder is all of the other ultimate skills that he brings to the package. He's actually a really good thrower right. under duress. He's one of those players, too, where because of his size, a lot of play gets allowed around him that other players maybe wouldn't. Like, if physicality mm-hmm. is allowed when defending him that other players yeah. don't have to do with, he shrugs that kind of stuff off. Again, he's known as being the main target, so defenses more than usual will just scheme against allowing him to get the disc. It, it doesn't matter with this guy. He has such good technique of just knowing where to go for receivers, developing rapport, or excuse me, throwers, developing rapport with different sets of handlers. He just becomes mm-hmm. a, a viable option, not only due to his his physical dominance, but I think so much of his skill. Like it's, it, it, right. it, if it was so easy for a six foot seven guy to just go out and score 95 goals in a season, I think you would see a lot more teams just adding, you know, former <laughs> basketball players. Jacob Bomber and sure, Trevor sure. Purdy would be among the league leaders in all-time goals, along with a couple other names of uh, behemoths right. in the league's tenure. And and yet, it, you know, Frey Stoddard is very singular in what he does. Uh, it He reminds me a lot of how uh, Yacht sometimes gets discredited for just being big and being able to catch goals. Yacht is For phenomenal sure. in tiny spaces at this point in his career. He is one of the best red zone players. Frey Stoddard is in the same sort of class. Like a lot of people want to talk about his ability to leverage his size in open field on jump balls. He can obviously do that. But I think where he really becomes potent is his ability to weaponize himself in, in very small spaces. He can get open in a phone booth, so to speak. He's very good at that kind of like... Mm-hmm back shoulder uh, S cut a little bit where he's setting up one way and then kind of rolling off of you and sealing with his body. I was talking with a player on the hustle actually yesterday, and he was just talking about, you know, for every other skill in his arsenal, his body positioning, like his just ability yeah. to seal you out. And then you're just dealing with a six foot seven monolith to try to figure out how to get around. I mean, you can, you can see the panic set in sometimes when defenders are going up against him and he just gets of the course. read before them. It's the same <laughs> right. sort of thing I, I think you see with like Jeff Babbitt. He has a similar effect when when he puts players on the back shoulder and he just gets that inside edge. It's over. It's over. And and I yeah. think, you know, we, we talk about Atlanta kind of maybe returning to a more internally developed culture. A couple of their highest named stars departed this last season. They still retain a whole bunch of their veteran playmakers. Uh, they obviously lose their three-time team-leading goal scorer in Elijah Jaime. But now they had Misha Freistadter to hold. Which is, I <laughs> it was know, like it was twice like... Jaime's height. Debatably. <laughs> yeah. I mean, um, not twice the skill by any means. I think Jaime... No, no, no. Of course not. Uh, goal scores the past several years, but... Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I think I think what's cool is like seeing Frey Setter. Like, obviously, he was just like the dominant receiver when, especially in his uh, record-setting goal-scoring season. But when we saw him last with the Flyers in 2019, he was just kind of like part of the system. Like, he was just kind of part of the offense. And like you mentioned, his like the what they had with him as as a red zone utility player, as well as a downfield threat. Like, he he did seem very versatile in his role and very adaptable based on what personnel they had out there. So I'm, I'm definitely more optimistic for his fit with Atlanta. If they do slot him in on offense, because like he doesn't have to be 
like a ball hog in in a way. Like I, I think they have they've had a lot of like high profile players come into this team over the past few years and, and guys that have been like kind of half committed that maybe require or demand a certain amount of touches every game, but but he seems like more of a guy that you can play in a variety of spots. And I, I think he is gonna be kind of the right balance of like, yeah, you're not getting him for every game, but he's the right type of player where I, I think the offense just can can ascend without too many bumps along the way. But at the same time, it is kind of the same question as it has been for years because it, it is another part-time player for them. So like, how do they really fit the team, you know, build the team culture from the bottom up and then like have these guys come in and not miss a beat? Like it's, it's probably easier said than done. So we'll still have to see what happens. And yet at the same time, I like the rest of Atlanta's roster anyway. I feel like they were ready for the battle yeah. in the 2023 season before this edition. And now getting Freystadter, it just, I mean, they're going to have to face, you know, New York Empire this season. They have four games against Carolina this year. They have a tough road. They start off the year against Indy, who I think is one of the more underrated teams going into this whole damn yeah. thing. And and adding Freystadter, I think, just pushes Atlanta's ceiling that much higher. And I wonder if if a full-strength hustle team is maybe the best version of themselves that we've ever seen. You know, we, we heard a lot of hype going into 2021 and then again into 2022 that this was maybe perhaps the best hustle team ever assembled is what uh, former head coach and now uh, coaching – archdiocese uh, Miranda Knowles said about the 2022 hustle uh I, I wonder if now with Freystadter on board if this is maybe the fullest form hustle we've seen because you know I I think back to kind of maybe the the pinnacle victory that's happened for Atlanta the past couple of years and that was that week eight home win against the Empire and and mm-hmm. with Freystadter on board it just feels like hustle can kind of go back to that big that blueprint, excuse me, of playing big boy ultimate, of kind of relying on their set of guys to make the big plays in the big moment. And and I just see that as like the most fully realized version of Atlanta. You know, they love the long ball. They love this stuff. And Freystadter is just going to enable them right. to do that sort of thing even more. Yeah. No, for sure. I, I, I think mean, if they... Growing to Freystadter... You know, oh yeah, well, and, and Bob, Bobby Lay too. Yeah, it's the, the, we are we're reigniting the Bobby Lay. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, yeah, on paper you have what looks like a very strong recipe for a, a dynamic offense. It's just going to be like, how often can they play at their fullest potential? Like there was that game last year. We saw Atlanta just take over against Austin when they hosted them in Atlanta, and it just looked like one of the most unstoppable offenses in the entire league but we never again really saw it after that. Right. So I think the consistency is kind of again, it's going to kind of be the same question this year with these new pieces coming in. How often can they hit their ceiling and will they peak at the right time is really what it's going to come down to. Cause this playoff race, man, like I, it, it seems like so much of a toss up right now for, I mean, maybe not the playoff seeds, but like no one's going to want to face any of these three teams in the South division playoffs. Right, like well, and it's about avoiding that first game too. Like I, I think that right, we've kind of agreed that Austin, Carolina, and Atlanta are the heavy favorites to take the three seeds in the play in the South. But 
whoever gets that first seed, mm-hmm. whoever gets a home game and the ability to avoid one extra just bruising opening round playoff game against whoever gets the three seed, like that's right. going to be really important. That's going to be really, really important because it's going to be at that time of the year where so much of this stuff depends on healthy rosters, full availability, finding the rhythm Mm -hmm. at the right time. I mean, that's going to be the difference between Austin, Carolina, and Atlanta. Like, talent is out the window. These three teams look like they are just ready to match up with each other. It's going to come down to all that intangible nonsense, all that mess. Well, I can also kind of see the, the two or the three seed in the South. If they can get to championship weekend because they'll have two playoff games to do it, like they're heading, they'd head into championship weekend with a full head of steam. And like that team, if it is Carolina or Atlanta, like we're expecting Austin to get the one seed at this point. But if Carolina, Atlanta emerges from the South and they, they go toe to toe with New York or DC or Colorado, like that is really anyone's game. It's feeling more and more like the South division has a true contender for whatever team makes it out. Yeah. Yeah. I Although I, I worry a little bit about the week in, week out, up and down with the South Division variants, because I think those other sure. Texas I mean, the regular season a little bit of a matchup problem with like an Atlanta lineup running Frey Stodder and Holzmeyer and all these gargantuans at you, right? Yeah. No, for sure. I do you, I just, do you uh, think I can't wait for the season to start already. I just want to like see this stuff happen and unfold. <laughs> there's just there's been so many huge moves. I think it's fair to say that this offseason is the most expansive star movement offseason we've ever witnessed. I mean, Pavel Giannis, like Thomas it. Edmonds, Joe White, uh Joe Merrill, Misha Frey's daughter now. You got Christian Johnson joining Chicago Union, which we haven't had a chance to talk about in this show yet. That stands mm-hmm. to be a pretty significant ad. I know I'm missing like half a dozen others. Andrew Roy going to <laughs> DC. I know I'm missing so much DC stuff, but you yeah. know, some of the Boston players even that have joined, like Rocco Linehan going to Boston, that's an exciting move. Like Elijah Jaime going to Salt Lake, Grant Lindsley going to Salt Lake. Like Yeah. You're on a roll. It's going to be crazy, man. So let's go into the next Colorado the got show. the got the Dallas guys, too. Kai Marshall yeah. is going to be pretty good <laughs> out west. He's one of those dudes who I'm really yeah. excited for. Plus, like, uh, Evan Lepler had a terrific piece last week about all of the comeback players this year, all the players yeah. who missed basically the entirety of last year coming back. Right. And it, it's really a reminder of how much talent was absent from last year's amazing campaign and how much... I think more excitement there even is this year. You're talking about multiple legends returning to fold and like Travis Carpenter and stuff and some of the biggest playmakers in Jakeem Polk. It's just going to be, it's wild. Actually on that, on that Polk note, we have to mention the possibility of just like a pure big Atlanta hustle line, right? Like Freysetter, Holzmeyer, <laughs> Dean Ramsey, yeah. Michael Fairley, those four guys, all six, four or bigger, Jakeem Polk is not short. Fill it out with two more guys. That's just, no one's going to have anywhere to look. Like, you just, everywhere you look, there's going to be a hustle player. Yeah. I want that. Just go block out the sun at that point. Yeah, exactly. Well, I've been trying to inartfully transition to our next portion of the show, (laughs) which is talking about the article that you released earlier today on the AUDL.com website. Player chatter is something you're going to be doing each week, which is collecting different thoughts from some name sources, some anonymous from around the league, just sort of getting some trash talk going, I think, a little bit, just getting a little 
cooler talk generating. Yeah. Uh, so we each went through and pulled out three of our favorite quotes. I'll let you take the first one as it's your piece. So please let us sure. let us kick off with a little bit of chatter about the 2023 season, nine days away. Yeah, yeah. And just for a little bit more context, so we're going to be sending out a survey to players every week. This one had, I think, four prompts on it. Four prompts and then like an open-ended one. The questions were, what's your hot take? Who is the league sleeping on this year? Hot takes. What's the, what's the vibe on the team been like this preseason? And then comment on a matchup that you either love or hate. And then anything else. So like these are meant to be very open-ended. I was very curious to see you what kind of responses we got. Uh, Nick Pappas of the Chicago Union said, Paul Arters is top three, if not top one thrower in the AUDL. It's a big claim. Obviously, it's a teammate hyping up another teammate. There's going to be a lot of this stuff in these articles as expected. But it did get me thinking. I'll I'll say that. like, There's a (laughs) lot of just self-hype in this first batch. We'll see if it keeps that. For sure. For sure. It's also said by a a second-year player who maybe hasn't had the full exposure to all the throwers in the league at this point. But it, regardless, it got me thinking. That's These quotes that I'm going to talk about are just quotes that got me thinking. Not necessarily that I agree with them. Um, But Paul Arters, I feel like, I don't know, we we haven't talked a ton about him in the context of the Chicago offense. Obviously, the the headline of the Chicago offense this year is no Pavel. But I guess I, I want to ask you and kind of the question that pops into my head is like, if you center the offense around Paul Arters, who was injured last year, like he missed a chunk of last season, was not fully healthy. But if you have a fully healthy Paul Arters this year, can you kind of like just build everything around him? I don't know if it's necessarily him as center handler, like taking on the exact Pavel role, but is there a chance this offense can maintain a pretty similar level of efficiency by feeding Paul Arters more. I mean, I want to I want to put a big old disclaimer at the front of this and say I am not a coach. I am just some guy saying things from what <laughs> we're I've both seen. just some uh, guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Our uh, opinions mean nothing. I, I don't. I don't think Arters in his best state is somebody who is centered around. I think his sort of X factor playmaking ability, his ability to sort of like do the throw that just cripples your defense is sort of what makes him so powerful. I think, Mm -hmm. and what will better set up Chicago this year is sort of their ability to present you with multiple options to confront. I mean, when he's in the lineup alongside a Ross Barker, a Jack Shanahan, Andrew Shogren now available, uh, Sam Kaminsky, who continues to develop when Christian Johnson Mm -hmm. is available, whoever kind of fills into that six, seven spot that you and I have been talking about is to, who will step up into that role. If it's another pivot handler like Nico Lake, if it's Nick Pappas kind of doing his fill cutter role where he's hustling out the other team's uh, seventh best defender or something like, I think Chicago's best version of themselves in, in 2023 is sort of going to be denying that identity that they've had the past few years of having the most reliable QB one in existence. And instead mm-hmm. going through something like this game, it's the Shanahan game. He's got the hot hand. This game, it's the Barker game. He's going to kind of fill it up. You know, this is the Arters game where he takes over when we need him to. But I don't know if you build the whole offense around Arters. That isn't to say anything about he doesn't have the skills to possess it. I just think of him as like 
like a like a J fruit or something like you kind of want that perfect mm-hmm. 18 to 25 touches range where he's both getting enough to stay in rhythm but you're not overloading him you want him taking those in rhythm continuation hooks you want him kind of cycling up field more you want him making problems mm-hmm. elsewhere from the disc but i mean yeah that's fair it's it's one I, of those I get it. where i i don't disagree with the notion at times that arters can look like the best thrower in the league like i definitely He's had throws like that. that yeah 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 right like he definitely has those moments that make you say oh like like <laughs> he, he had he one that it was i think it was on the road in minnesota he like launched this be- i mean he had a few beautiful hawks in that game but he launched this dime to joe white where it was like late in the game i think it was fourth quarter situation yeah. he has some like like really jaw-dropping throws and we probably don't talk about just like his pure throwing talent enough but i guess in my mind it's like could he be a ryan osgar type of the Chicago offense where you're just putting like most of your eggs in that basket. I don't know if he can assume the same sort of volume load, but I think in terms of just like production, making the defense. Yeah. And like game, game breaker. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. I think he's absolutely kind of like the central divisions premier example of an Osgar type alongside like a coffin or something, you know, people who just make offense look ridiculous ridiculously easy in any position that they're playing yeah well cool you want to move on you got another chicago sure. one for I us i wanted to say one other artist throw yeah that one in the semifinal, that like back shoulder cross field laser to jeff white oh yeah yeah oh. when he launched it and it's just that this, was like so nice. lining missile and weiss catches it was it. like it was like the perfect i mean it was a perfect read by weiss too, knowing to to cut back the other way but yeah, those throws where it's just like you're throwing to space and the receiver is just, you know, on one far side of the field and cuts back to the other. I love those. Kerr had a bunch of those last year. Yeah. Very satisfying. Yeah. Uh, we'll stick with the union. Uh, I got to give a shout out to Ross Barker for coming. I don't know if he came up with it, but he did <laughs> say it in your article. One of the best nicknames I've heard in a minute. Andrew the Taxman Shogrin. Whether you like it or not, the tax man always collects. And and so like, good. Well said. Uh, it's uh just thank you, Ross. <laughs> that that is one that that I, I got crazy. I gotta send you like a six pack from Wisconsin or something, buddy. Uh no, I you know, we talked about after the All-Star game, we talked about then when he signed with Chicago. Shogren is one of those guys who I think gets the bad rap that he's one-dimensional, right? Like, he just goes out there, runs around, scores goals. And while he hasn't necessarily shown a huge throwing depth yet, he doesn't make mistakes. And his value as just a churning wide receiver, I think, is really understated coming to this Chicago team, right? Like, he's put up the second-best receiving stats behind Ben Yacht the past two years as Detroit's basically first and at times only option on offense. He's had the singular responsibility for downfield production at times and had to take the opposing team's toughest matchup nine times out of 10. He now goes to a Chicago offense that features Ross Barker, Paul Arters, Jack Shanahan, Sam Kaminsky, in in short, Christian Johnson, in short players who other opposing defenses have to game plan around, which is going to give Shogren even more leverage in his one-on-ones. And as we saw at All-Star Weekend, 
if you don't put someone on him who has been doing their cardio recently, it's no fun. <laughs> like, it's no fun following Andrew Shogren around. He is going to just run you down like a tax man. Like, he's just going to collect. He's just, he's got receipts. He's going to keep running it down. He's going to score five goals a game as he has the past two seasons. Like, he's going to be a problem in the Central. And I think a lot of teams stand some time to consider what Shogren is capable of when Union are at their full force and you got to worry about all these other options, right? I think the All-Star game is like the perfect example of this quote in action where it's like, I mean, the All-Star game is always an interesting time because you get players from teams that like generally aren't as competitive or if you have a guy like Shogren where it's like yeah he's putting up insane stats but it's because he's the only option they have as a downfield receiver let's see how he does when you throw him in with all these other top talents from around the league and sure enough he scored what four or five goals in the game like among the game leaders I think he is probably one of the more I was oh, just going to say an eyeball testing. Like, he was just running dudes yeah. out on the other team. Like, it, it, you could just see dudes wanting to exchange Shogren. They didn't want to do <laughs> right. that kind of running detail in an exhibition game. And, and yeah, he had uh, that just kind of discipline. And that's going to be every point for a team that has a terrific coaching structure, for a team that has a good system. Like, it, it's one of those things where the more I've thought about it over the offseason, the more excited I am for him in this opportunity. I think he's he's kind of like a like a Cam Brock type where it's not like the flashiest of movements. It's just like eventually he's going to get open because he doesn't really stop running. And Cam Brock on the other hand had a very quiet All-Star game, which which is fine. Like it, it's expected. It's not, like not everyone could shine. He was injured. He was injured. He like I Okay, think he okay. Yeah, 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 that's he right. Oh, he almost didn't like play earlier that week. Yeah. So that right. was that's that was kind of why. They went crazy yes. up and then he was like, "Oh, I'm going to sit a lot of this out." I <laughs> didn't really like him. five points. Yeah. Yeah. But it's like it's like those types of receivers, I feel like, I mean, we give them some praise obviously because they do put up big numbers, but you know, they're never like all over highlight reels. They're never going to get like a number 1 play on Sports Center, but those are the guys that are just like no one wants to guard because they they get the job done. And I think Shogren on Chicago, this is like the highest potential season he's had so far, just going to a team like this. So excited to see what he does. Mm-hmm. All right, you're next. Well, yeah, moving right along. Uh, Jacob Blackman of the Atlanta Hustle gave a few quotes. This one with Rowan McDonald moving over to the D-line. I hope to the gods that we will see him match up with Ryan Osgar. Look, MVP versus MVP, those matchups don't really happen around the league just because historically our MVPs are typically on the offensive side. But he's right. This is a great opportunity with Rowan moving over. It does just kind of raise the bigger question of like, what exactly is DC's approach to Ryan Osgar and the rest of New York stars going to be this year? They seem to have a pretty good answer to that in the East Division Finals last year when they used a combo of Jasper Tom and David Cranston down the stretch. I think Cranston, especially, Osgar mentioned as one of his tougher matchups. He he brings a lot of size, and the way he was marking Osgar was like very straight up and like very big. 
in that game, which take, took away a lot of what Oscar wanted to do with stretching the field with his throws, and no one else on the New York offense was really so comfortable or as comfortable hucking the disc as Oscar was. So I think that changed things a ton. Jasper Tom, quicker defender underneath, really just about forcing Oscar deep. Rowan, I feel like, would be interesting because he kind of fits somewhere in between. Maybe he is a little bit quicker. But I think the the bigger thing is just the the idea of, like, D.C. is going to need to adjust their matchups against New York. They're not going to come out and have the perfect answer for every player right off the bat. But it's going to be these, like, in-game adjustments. Like, the fact that we we credit two defenders with limiting Osgar in those East Division finals, I think they might try other combinations. They might just stick with Cranston if he's got the hot hand and seems to be limiting him. So... The, the question of, like, can D.C. overtake New York? I think a lot of it is just going to come down to how these defensive matchups play out and what they can do to limit guys, especially like Osgar. I'll keep my response short because I, I disagree with everything that you're saying. I think when it comes to a player, and specifically <laughs> in Osgar, you, you need to present different looks to them, right? Like, you can't just give them one defender to work with all game because as good of a defender as they might be, this sport favors offense. And Ryan Osgar has frankly figured out how to play it damn near its perfect efficiency level at times. And when you just let him sort of slip into either a receiving or a throwing role with his leisure, he's going to beat you. And that's kind of what happened. I feel like after DC, DC did such a good job of kind of giving him two different defenders to play with. That after that, I think some of the takeaway into championship weekend was push him into a receiving role, push him out of the handler space entirely. But then he just got comfortable and torched people as a receiver in the semifinals and finals. So I think what DC did of kind of making him figure out which role in which matchup, in which point he needs to play is is what you need to do. You need to just continue to throw him changeups, continue to keep him off balance. There's but really it was not... it was more of like a an adjustment though. Like it started off, Tom was the matchup for Oscar, but down the stretch it was Cranston. So it yeah. it was like, okay, Tom no, isn't I love that. Yeah. No, I I, I agree, but I I mean it's like Yeah, but I like I don't think the answer is necessarily like switching up his matchup every point, but it's no, like I'm if sorry. one thing if one thing mean... isn't working then yeah, you pivot to something else. And I think DC is as good at that as any other team. I didn't mean specifically every point. It's it's going to be much more of a field call, but kind of sussing out where exactly you give him the B look, the alt look, the the other sure, thing. Sure, sure. Right? Because I think that's what you need to present Osgar with, is just making him think more, right? When he's just out there goofing around, he's stomping on people the past two seasons for the Empire. And you just you yeah. can't allow him to do that. Yeah, you're you're not wrong. And DC did lose that game, so <laughs> did it did yeah. it work? I don't know. I I think it worked in so far as New York wasn't running away. <laughs> it worked from as well it as it could. Everyone else in the playoffs and then the back half of that season. So yeah, oh, and and kind of to this point, it works well into my quote that I'll pull next. And this is from an anonymous Philly player. Uh, not enough teams make it to championship weekend. It's a disservice that teams like the Breeze don't make it. 
That's Fair. silly, man. Like, I'm sorry. <laughs> That's silly. Like, the whole point of some of this stuff is that you have these almost unfair gargantuans you have to overcome and the, these sort of larger-than-life rivals that have to be slain. I mean, what do you think New York went through with Toronto for several seasons? I guarantee you there were at least some New York fans at the, the later stages of the 2018 season wishing that the rush were in a different division. But, like, that's the gauntlet, man. Like, yeah, the Breeze might have been the second-best team in the league last year, and they didn't make it to championship weekend. They didn't make it to one of the last four spots. But, like, them's the breaks, right? Like, that's the way the cookie crumbles. I don't want to just, like, spin off into uh, colloquialisms or whatever, but, like, yeah, man. Like, there's not enough teams at championship weekend. It's the rarefied air at the top. You're one of the four best teams. That's the point. It's it's less of an issue. Like, I don't... you know, expanding championship weekend to like eight teams or something doesn't really make sense. Or, or the only God thing that would make like sense algorithm. I don't want like an yeah. algorithm or something. No, 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 no. no. The like only thing widespread chaos. The only thing that would make sense in the future is if we had playoff seeds compete uh, cross divisionally, and that would that's just like it's a it's a uh, a cost thing. That teams like you know it's it's all based on travel and like what's easiest. Like right now. Where we are in the league, teams are only going to play like they're going to mostly play in their divisions. But I do think the league can reach a point one year where you know DC gets I don't know whatever seed it like a wild card spot or something, and then gets paired up with the top team from another division in the first round of the playoffs, and like we have more of a full playoff picture where teams are going cross divisionally. But until that happens, like. Yeah, it's just. It's but then, tough how luck. do you reset after that? If the if the entire opening round is wild cards interdivision, how would this? Would you just, then just say like they had the least point differential, so they'll go against the team with the most point differential or something? Like, do you reset? Well, no, I'm just saying you you structure you structure an initial playoff bracket based on regular season finishes, like any other sport, like the NFL does. And if it, if two teams are tied for a like, record. If two so teams are tied like, for record, we'll use the same tiebreakers. And then kind of have like conferences instead, like group two divisions together and have a conference that they play through. Yeah, something like yeah, right. I mean, you you could do okay. it that way. Okay. I mean, yeah, I feel like that. I'm a little that bit more in that favor. I thought you were just brackets. talking about almost like total pandemonium of like there's top four seeds and then the rest of the seeds almost like play to play into those like. No, yeah, I mean, I haven't thought through the specific structure, okay. but probably probably not that. You know, something relatively okay. simple and and known in other sports is probably a good starting point. I guess I'm such um, like a traditionalist or something, or I just appreciate the ways in which rivalries build. Where like. I think it's the burden of the breeze and their whole kind of narrative arc to overcome the empire. Like I I feel like it would be weird if they just sort of went around them. Like I think of some of my other favorite rivalries in other sports, it's about getting past the team that you couldn't for forever. I mean, hell that's the Michael Jordan story in a nutshell with the Detroit Pistons and like the, the Celtics before that is bang your head against the other great teams. Like, Sure. I don't know. I don't. I don't just want it to become kind of like what college football is, where it's all this like kind of abstract metric algorithm stuff that tries to determine like the strength of yeah. the team given like output and strength of schedule. Like, 
I want the head-to-head. I want to see DC release and overcome the Empire. Like, I, I want I that. do too, but but I also wouldn't be opposed if there was some format that allowed DC and New York to meet in the championship. Like, I just think that would be fun also. Yeah. I, right? I mean, or at championship weekend. Abstractly, yeah. I mean, if they're... I guess the, the alternative of if it got broken finally in the championship game, like if DC yeah. finally got the monkey off their back against New York right. in the championship. But like that's, that's it. Great that's too. the only outcome you could shoot for that I think would be better than like East Division final DC New York that's sort of just been this culminating thing for the past several seasons. Yeah whatever all right we'll move on move on to another <laughs> another top team this is very on topic uh a pittsburgh thunderbirds player anonymous pittsburgh thunderbirds player commented on i think carolina has as good a chance to take down new york as dc joe white is much more dynamic than henry fisher for o-line ben snell and liam searles bows add size and plus matchups to their d-line and all their guys have years of past chemistry that can't be overstated i certainly wouldn't want to meet them in the playoffs you know, some of it is uh, questionable. <laughs> the comments about Joe, like the Joe White versus Henry Fisher, I don't want to dig into too much. Joe White, I think you just have a lot more variance, as we saw with some of his spot starts for Chicago last year. Henry Fisher, I think his presence is absolutely going to be missed for Carolina isn't, this year. Isn't Henry but Fisher I guess like, the, I was just going to say, isn't like Henry Fisher the third most efficient offensive player over the last three seasons behind like Solomon Rushmeyer Bailey and like Anders Jung. Is that right? I, I, yeah, something that might like be right. That. I'm just, I'm just trying to build up a little bit more Henry Fisher <laughs> hype. I mean, that man was sure. Well, we can't, can't hype him. Can't hype him too much. He's not playing this year, so we can't. No, and Joe White is But I think the greater. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. I, we shouldn't get into it's the we greater get, point. Put him back. We shouldn't Put get it. We, let's not. Yeah, let's let's zoom out a little bit. The greater point of this quote, and what I took away from it, is that Carolina is still Carolina, right? Like plenty of people, I think, including yeah. you, had them beating New York in last year's semifinal game. Obviously, that didn't happen, but it wasn't like a far fetched idea at all to say that they. It was kind of like a fifty fifty toss up in that game and Carolina is not going to be significantly worse this year. I think maybe you could, you could argue that they, they get better with these new additions. It still remains to be seen how much these guys play and what the commitment level is. But I, I think like their top end roster absolutely has the talent to play with New York and play with DC. So in my mind, I just think I need to pump the brakes because I've been feeling like it's just between New York and DC for the whole thing for the EDL championship this year. But and I also have been like hyping Austin in my mind because it's like they seem like a lock for the one seed in the South just based on the schedule alone of Carolina and Atlanta. But as we talked about before, if Carolina and Atlanta get like ahead of steam going into championship weekend, that's going to be a lot to handle. So I I don't know. Oh, They're also just going to be. Yeah, Carolina is also just going to be super battle tested this year, kind of like they are every year. But yeah, I, I just think it's it's obviously too early to to narrow our sights too much on any one or two teams that might win the title so i think carolina of course should be in that conversation it's more like a nice reminder to me it's like hey carolina still exists they could easily win the title this year they did this back in 2019 
they had lost Jonathan Nethercutt and Jack Williams went to New York and there was a couple other pretty seismic shifts that I'm forgetting about off the top of my head. And then, oh, they added Eric Taylor and Henry Fisher and Saul Yannick and, and that cut championship uh, uh, crop that they put in and, and sort yeah. of reignited this new era of the last three years of just adding on stock of some of the best rookies year after year. They'll probably do it again this year because that's right. what Carolina is known for. And you're absolutely right. I mean, they're the freaking flyers, man. Like they're kind of like the Spurs at this point. They just reload. You have to take them as a championship level team or they will just run you out. Like uh, another one of the quotes that you had in your player chatter article is that nobody on Carolina is fun to guard. There's just there's <laughs> yeah, yeah, not yeah. a fun matchup on that team. And you look at that yeah. offense. I mean, they lose Henry Fisher, who might have been their fastest player. And they're still like easily a top three to five fastest team in the league. <laughs> you know, like. Yeah. Well, and it's a, a healthy, a presumably healthy Yunkst this year, too, who didn't play barely at all with them last year. It's like him, AD, Davis, who almost yeah. led the league last year in goals, who has been hitting the weight room this offseason, so might be in even better shape this year. I mean, one of the things we haven't really touched on is that. Carolina won the 2021 title and that was like as a, a team that had a whole bunch of veterans that were obviously like the foundational pieces and D rich and Justin Allen, excuse me, Justin Allen and Noah saw and all these uh, uh, historic flyer veterans, but mm -hmm. the like playmaking bulk of that roster hadn't even hit their prime yet. Hell, they're still just like getting into it right now. This team's still improving. Right. Like it's, it's base components are getting better. It's not like New York where they're just, I, I think it's fair to say like Jack Williams, Ryan Asgard, Ben Yacht, they're like kind of Jeff Babbitt. They're kind of the good versions of themselves. Like they're playing at their peak. Bunch, yeah. Got a whole bunch more yeah. ceiling to go through. Like Jungs can right. still get better. AD can still get better. Like Terrence is still getting better. Like Terrence Mitchell is still yeah. one of the most consistent performers in this league. I don't know. Even You're Eric right. Taylor, Saul Yannick, like, yeah, yeah, Pretty they're good. all Pretty so young. They're Michael all Johannes. still on the up. Pretty good players. Yeah. Pretty, pretty good, good players. <laughs> so don't sleep on Carolina this year. Don't sleep, don't sleep on Carolina. Yeah, I, well, I've gotten four, I think, in my power rankings, and now I almost want to bump them up a notch or two. Wouldn't blame you at all. Uh, speaking of a team that I, I would like to see, I think a little higher in the standings, but I'm, I'm just not there yet because I, I need them to have like a quality win. Philadelphia, uh, a member of the Phoenix talking about their own team saying, quote, good luck to anyone guarding James Pollard and Greg Martin this year, unquote. And, you know, they are two, I think. I don't know if they're roommates, but I definitely know that they're training partners. And they're two people who just continue to level up almost together over the past few years. You know, mm -hmm. Greg Martin has long been an athletic playmaker in the sport. I think people have seen his potential for a very long time. He's always been somebody who can just jump out of the gym, so to speak, and just has eye-popping playmaking ability. And, and same with Pollard to a certain extent, too. I think even as a puller, you saw the potential there for his deep throwing capacity. You could see just mm -hmm. his disc hawking ability. And then last year, obviously, it all coming together as he won the league's most improved player award. 
these are two guys who I think are, who are still exploring what their ceiling is. And you saw in the first half of that playoff game against DC when when they don't make turnovers, when they don't kind of beat themselves, they can go off against people. Like they can just start kind of playing almost a NBA Jam version of Ultimate, where it, it it's it's so like wide open spaces. It sort of redefines, I think, a lot of the the meta stuff we've been seeing more and more with teams going more small ball a little bit, like trying to work a little bit more in the red zone with Pollard and Martin. It's just big show all the time. <laughs> I mean, we have to reference the Ottawa game last year, right? I, <laughs> I pulled up the stats. James Pollard completed eight of nine hooks in that game. Majority to Greg Martin. Maybe Majority all of them. in the second half. Majority like Majority in the, in the second half. <laughs> uh and Pollard only completed 13 throws that game for 461 yards. That was an average of 35 yards per completion. Greg Martin, who was on the receiving end of a lot of that, scored eight goals in that game. Record-setting 658 receiving yards. Uh, and he, he completed 12 throws of his own. So I guess 20 total touches for Greg Martin in that game. Uh, five assists for Pollard. Including, including the, and like the game clinching game goal. game winner, right? Pollard yeah. Just airing it out to Martin in double coverage. I mean. He was, he was launching them. He was launching them and it was just like, it, it was inevitable every time the disc was in the air and you saw Greg Martin on the receiving end. Didn't matter, double, single coverage. He was coming down with it. Yeah, air raid. Like just absolute over the top monstrosity. Like loved it. I need more of that. They're gonna be fun again, Philly. Didn't you talk about doing like a ranking of like most fun to watch teams? We should do that before yeah, the season. Maybe come in the season is the watchability rankings. That is nice. the article that I'm working on right now. So yeah, Philly, I mean, Philly Philly's up I there. Yeah, definitely be a top ten team. You know, they led the league in huck completions per game last year, even beating out Colorado. Uh, set you know the new league high as far as like most in a season or or most highest average Mm -hmm. in it excuse me so I only expect that trend to continue I mean Jordan Ryan's going into his second year of the season he's their best deep thrower on that roster Sean Mott's pretty darn Mm -hmm. good with the disc Alex Thorne I think is set for a big season he flew a little bit under the radar I feel like how we talked about the team last year but obviously he has been known as one of the most natural throwers throughout his illustrious career so i think he's set for a big year in philly like as we've been talking about for a while now we like where philly is trending just to get them i think a little bit higher in my mind i need that win against dc i need that win against new york i i need that that carolina they play this year yeah they have a carolina game flyers win against the flyers that would do it yeah that would bump them now we're talking now we're cooking (laughs) All right, are we through chatter? Are we all chatted out? Uh, yeah, I think I did. Yeah, we each did three. Yeah, yeah. All right, I'm well, good on my end. But everyone should everyone should read the rest too, of course, on AUDL.com. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot yeah. of fun stuff in there. There's a lot right now on AUDL.com. Also, I wanted to give a quick plug for anyone else who stuck around this far into the episode. The AUDL app. Go out and download it right now. I'm not kidding. This is like me, even without any of my announcer hats on or anything like. The updates and everything that have been going on with that have been incredible. You can pick your own favorite team. There's a lot more just ease of use. I think the UX design has been vastly, vastly improved. It looks great. 
go and download the AUDL app for whatever phone you have, iOS, uh, Android, Amazon, Google, whatever. Um, we'll be back beginning of next week, uh, probably on Tuesday, doing a full preview of the 2023 AUDL season, which is now again, just nine days away, Friday, April 28th, opening poll will be going up. We're hella excited. We'll see you again in just a few short days. Bye now.